0: This episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast, I'm your host, Andrea, and today's episode is one that I hope you will not only listen to, but also share with a friend who may need this message of opening their heart and faith to more love and inclusion. Nine years ago, my guest was living her life as a conservative Christian wife, mom, singer, and songwriter. But when her teenage daughter told her she was gay, suddenly her tidy Christian faith began to unravel. In this episode, Stacy Frennis shares her story of an unexpected chapter in her family that would expand her faith and love like nothing else had. Stacy shares how she came to realize that what she had always been taught and thought to be true perhaps wasn't the true message of the gospel and God's love after all. She talks about the lessons she learned along the way of opening her heart to love and to build a bigger, more inclusive table. She also shares about the losses she experienced along the way as she shared her story with others who were once in her close circle of Christian friends. But ultimately, Stacy's story is one of hope and love and an invitation for all of us to make room for love. Listen in as Stacy shares her story. Stacy, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yes, I am just super thrilled to have you here. We kind of chatted on and off and connected a little bit ago when you reached out, I think after an episode with Emmy, that you had a story to tell that was so powerful and so full of love, and I just am really glad to finally make it work to get you here. I know it's been been a process to get our <laughs> for our paths to cross and to talk. So I'm grateful to have you here.
1: Yes, I'm grateful too. It I felt like, and I have been kind of following your podcast and your, you know, your um, I think it's your Instagram, and it just yeah. resonates so deeply with my own heart and my own path. Yeah. So um, I knew we would have a great conversation yeah. today.
0: You know, I want my listeners to know. I think your story and so many gives gives me hope about how we can change and we can change and open up for more love and expand our faith and just you know if you have friends and family that are so conservative or stuck in a certain belief like there is still hope I look at my own changing and evolving faith and I look at your story and don't give up on people.
1: Right. I love that.
0: So before we do get into your story, Stacey, tell me where you live, uh, your, your day-to-day life. I know you just got back from a fun trip. Just tell us some basics about who you are.
1: Sure. So I live in San Francisco Bay Area. I live in a town called Brentwood, which is about an hour East of San Francisco. I've lived here all of my adult life. I have a husband and two adult children who also live in California, but not at home. They were home during pandemic though, which was super fun. They're both in their twenties and and it was fun having them back home for a while and just being like a little family unit again. That was a cool gift. Yeah. Day-to-day wise. I mean, I've been for years and years, my heart and soul have been And still is a songwriter. Um, I love words. I love music. And so I've been a songwriter since before I can even remember since I was a teenager. In recent years, my love of words and just communicating via words has also spread into the book world. So I've published a couple of books in the past few years. um, One about the creative process and how we can nurture that and live our lives more creatively. And then most recently, a book about a real shift in my faith around kind of a family crisis at the time. It felt like a crisis, but in fact it was a huge beautiful window to a time of growth in our family's life and it's about my daughter coming out as gay. So that's where I am today. I'm, I'm still writing music. I just released a new album during the pandemic. I've just released this new book. so I've, I feel like I'm still doing what I love. Um, it just looks a little looks and sounds a little differently you know these days. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. And that's what we're going to talk about today is your book that released last year, correct? it released in may of last... okay where are we this year yeah this, this year. year okay i don't know these 20 <laughs> is, these 2021 20, they're all coming <laughs> together it's a uh, so release this year so not too long ago and the book is called love makes room and other things i learned when my daughter came out and that is what we're going to talk about today and i'm just like a little teary i just when you said like you know it, when it came when she first came out that it was like a crisis but now you see it as a beautiful beautiful opportunity for growth and love and family. And I just think, God, what if we could all get to that place where if a child came out, it wasn't just sad and a crisis. Mm -hmm. Like it was like a celebrated, beautiful time. And Mm -hmm. I envision that we can, but it is uh, stories like yours that give us all hope. So before we jump into that, can you take us just, I don't know, just your childhood. We don't have to go real deep into it, but I'm just really curious, your
1: religious upbringing, all of those things that just started to shape you as you grew up. Sure. I was raised, I was born and raised in the Midwest, uh, in North Dakota, actually. Okay. And I was raised um, Lutheran, which is just kind of like our family went to church on the holidays and didn't really involve God in, on a day-to-day basis. But when I was 13, my family moved to California and um, it was really kind of a crisis crisis in my, in my young life. And I was invited to a young life camp from a junior high teacher. And I met Jesus in a very personal way. And for the first time discovered I, there's could be a relationship with this God that I had just kind of checked in on holidays at church with. And so from a very young age, I I really was nurturing a spiritual life that was very deep. And and because I was a person who loved to journal and loved to write right around the same time that I became a Christian at, at 13 or so. Um, I discovered this love for writing songs and so the these poems and phrases that were just on the page began to kind of lift and take melodies and I, I wrote songs and began recording albums in my high school and college years got married and had a couple of kids continued to pursue music as well as teaching I, I got an English degree at UC Berkeley here in California and taught English for a few years which you know my whole life's trajectory is all about just like being a Lover of words and um, Mm. a lover of just communicating via beautiful and effective words. And so I taught school for a while, but my true passion was singing and, you know, and writing songs. So I quit the day job when my kids were young and have been more, you know, kind of an independent artist since as an author and both a musician and singer and conference conference speaker. And a lot of my, you know, my world has really been evangelical spaces because since I became a Christian, a lot of what I wrote about and, and sung about was my life with God. And so, you know, I found that those doors opened to me a lot. And that's that's where I, it was my bread and butter, but it was also my community. And so for, I'd say, you know, 25 years that that was home for me. And I felt honored there. My gifts were honored there. I had a, I had a regular rotation of hundreds of churches and, you know, women's groups where I would regularly speak and sing. And, and then my daughter came out.
0: Right. (laughs) Right, So you were,
1: I just want to just clarify a little bit. So
0: you were immersed, you were lu- raised Lutheran, but you were, would identify yourself as like a conservative evangelical. Yeah, correct? I, I okay. was. That that right. was your community. That's it was how you assembly of God. your beliefs. Okay, yeah. yes. My grandma assembly of God, is uh-huh. assembly of God. That would be the church I went to growing up on and off. So yeah, so <laughs> conservative, for sure. Not affirming all of those things.
1: And um, very literal. The Bible is a literal yes. manual for life. Uh, you know, that was definitely my context you know when Abby came out, and yeah, so yeah, I mean, and it,
0: and it works for you until it doesn't, right? Exactly. Something comes along and shakes things up and makes you question, and that's yeah. that's what happened to you. So, in your book, you say nine years ago, pretty much you were blindsided when your teenage daughter told us she was gay. My tidy Christian faith began to unravel, and a Jesus loving, evangelical church going family, this just didn't seem possible. So that was what came along to totally shake things up for you. So tell us just, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit of that moment, I know your family was going through a crisis, but just when she told you, share how you felt and how you, you
1: know, you say you weren't expecting it. Just some of those things, if you want to share. Yeah. I was driving her to school. She was a junior in high school and she was crying inconsolably that day but that it had been a long season of her being very very uncharacteristically quiet, somber, mm-hmm. depressed, withdrawn. She had isolated herself in many ways from our family, began really acting out in ways that were super not like her, you know, um she would sneak out, she started smoking, she started hanging out with people that she didn't want us to know about like she wouldn't tell us the names of the people she'd go hang out with. And all of that was just like, you know, warning bells, but we didn't, it didn't add up to anything yet until this particular morning when I was driving her to school and she was just inconsolably crying. And I, mm-hmm. I finally pulled over and said, I'm, I'm not going to drop you off at school until, you know, you tell me what's wrong. And she said, you know, if I tell you what's wrong right now, mom, I have to tell you everything. And, you know, my, I remember my, my stomach just sank down to my knees because I, that is not what you want your teenage daughter to tell you. Like what, what's everything, what, what's been happening, you know, and how come I don't know. And, um, and she, you know, I mean, she didn't, she wasn't real forthcoming with it, but I could tell she wanted me to, to keep questioning her so that I would get to it. And I did, I, I eventually kept asking questions. Is it someone hurting you? Is there, a friend that's you know that you're not getting along with all the things that you think about typical teenage girls and then I finally got to what I thought was the mother of all questions which is are you pregnant and she said no <laughs> at which point I remember sitting back in my seat because we're sitting in the car pouring down rain and sitting back in my seat and just going like okay I can get through anything if it's not that and then you know a couple more questions later I I finally said. Um, is this some kind of like breakup? And, and then it, that led to, is it a girl? Are you telling me that, are you telling me you're gay? And she nodded and cried even harder. And it, it was just this, I mean, it was like the last question I asked mm-hmm. it, it was nowhere on my radar. So I, I remember it just time standing still and kind of this cold fog and sort of falling over my whole insides. Like, what am I going to do with this information? I do not know where to put this anywhere in my filing system. Like I would know where to put a pregnancy. I would know where to put even abuse from someone. I would know where to put bullying. I would know where to put all the things except Mm -hmm. my daughter's gay. And, but I also thank God had the presence of mind in that moment with my sobbing daughter to realize that there was this fundamental relationship here that, needed to be tended to, which is I love you. And that didn't change when you told me what you told me and whatever all this other stuff means. I don't know yet, but like in this moment, I want you to know that I love you. Mm-hmm. That didn't change. I'm here for you. Like I said, those things, thank God. Um, because I, I didn't feel I mean, I felt all those things, but I didn't feel certain of anything at that point, you know, only that I loved her, but not what in the world, what does this mean for her future? What does it mean for her future, you know, as a person, but also spiritually, what does this mean for her future? What does this mean for our family? What does this mean for my career? Uh, What does this mean for I mean, I had so many questions and right, so many- Right, because all
0: you knew was this was a sin and she's going to hell. I mean, that's, or what you've been taught. I mean, that's not that you believed I, in that moment, right. but that's all that you had heard and believed. And then everything changes when, wait, no, this is hitting like right close to home with somebody yeah. I
1: love and adore. That is exactly right. Everything I had been taught and understood and really like like kind of absorbed before was that anyone who's homosexual- had made a decision a choice yeah. to walk in sin and to walk separate from god and that's the heavy part that i think some people don't understand that as as christians growing up in this tradition that you you it's not just a switch that you can flip off and on uh, you know it's like there's there's this work that needs to be done to kind of undo those really deeply, deeply rooted beliefs around this, Mm -hmm. this topic. And because it was my child, um, I had no choice but to dig in and do that work to go down to those roots and figure out what do I believe? Why do I believe this? What, what is the Bible really saying? And, and, you know, and more importantly, like why is the real, the real flesh and blood relationship in front of me every day contradicting what I thought I believed, which is that she's, she's healthy. She's flourishing. She's, um, she's not choosing to sin every day. She's just growing up into the human being that she is.
0: Right. And why one day she's worthy. And the next day she's not because of, because of this, she is still the same beloved human that God God made. Um, And, you know, I shared with you and my listeners probably know, like I've come a long way with my, faith with that as well. I am fully affirming. I can't even believe there was a point in my life. I wasn't that my eyes were also shut and I just ate what I was fed of like, well, of course that's just a sin. And like, they're choosing that, but it's, Oh, I, I hope people can understand that without being face to face with it, Yes. that I hope that this love can just be big enough and people can just listen to your story and understand that you didn't change the narrative to fit your story. And we'll talk about that a
1: little bit later, but that
0: God is even more loving and so much bigger than we ever,
1: ever can imagine. And Um, I do think it is stories and it's people. It has to be sort of the embodiment of this, of like a human being's life that makes us, you know, pause and say, wait a minute, maybe my beliefs aren't as, not only not as certain or as solid, but maybe my beliefs aren't, the important thing to withhold here. Maybe the relationship is the more important thing. And that was where I was before I had worked out any of the theological components. I, I was, I I was continually making a decision to keep the relationship in the forefront again, like you said, because she's my child, I had no choice. Like, I mean, I know that there are parents who write off their child, kick their child out of their home, forbid their child to be in a relationship with someone who's of the same sex. I mean, try to kind of, you know, hem their child in to prevent the behavior, but you know, when your child is 16, 17 years old and you're watching her just sort of awaken to her own her own innate desires, There is no specific point at which you can say, Oh, don't do that. Oh, that's a sin. That thought was a sin. That desire was a sin. Right. You see how naturally, I saw how naturally it developed in Abby, the same way it developed in me when I was a teenager and in love with a boy. You know, right. Right. like that was part of the awakening for me is that this is not a disordered, broken thing. This is the natural awakening of who my daughter is, just is. Right.
0: And I also want people to understand, and you share this so beautifully in your book, this was not like, the next day, you just came to this conclusion. Oh, this no. <laughs> was a long process for both you and your husband. It caused a lot of tension between the two of you, a lot of tension in your family. Like there was a lot of wrestling, years of it to really get to this point. And one of your first reactions, though, was thinking, like, what did I do? Has she been traumatized? So maybe just lead us through that a little bit. And again, not asking you to like go through all the verses, but just leading you, just tell us a little bit of your thinking process. But
1: again, your book, you go much, much deeper and more in depth about it. Sure. Well, I can say that, like you said, there was no one specific aha moment when it all, all the jigsaw pieces came together in this beautiful, you know, puzzle piece. It's like, it was really just, I mean, I liken it to sort of like little tiny glimpses of like truth that, that mm-hmm. like little tributaries leading to a big river ocean that suddenly it was just expanding my heart, you know, year by year, but it took, it took time. And I will say that for me, it just began with this little seed of, you know, because the first question you ask yourself is, is there something wrong with my child? And am I to blame for that? Did I do something wrong in my parenting? Did I neglect? Did I abuse? Did I do something wrong? And so I explored that, you know, I, I hit... <laughs> I hit the googles all the googles and I started searching every site for some kind of like why is my child gay and is there something that I did or what causes it and so that I first just sort of scratched the surface of just what does it mean and in that process learned you know as I read outside of my own narrow evangelical blinders of just whatever seven verses that mention the word having homosexuality. As I read outside of that narrow scope, I discovered a lot I didn't understand about human psychology and human, just human beings and variants in sexuality and in identity and then all of that kind of thing. So I I was a school, I mean as a student of this whole school for a while, just learning that um that homosexuality was was in fact a human variant and that there was not anything specifically morally, you know, right or wrong about it. It was simply a way of being. But with that came this sense of kind of Psalm 139, you know, this idea that God knit her together in my womb. And and at, at the fundamental, you know, like basic bottom line, I believed that God was and is her creator and designer. And so from there, I also had to then say, well, he didn't make a mistake with either her or this entire population of people who claim that to be you know, in the LGBTQ spectrum. Like He didn't just make mistakes with these people. And then from there, it was, well, then if he created her this way and it wasn't a mistake, then why in the world would I believe that he would punish her for simply being who she is? So it was like this, this, you know, kind of slow plodding logic that led me to this place of, oh no, it, it isn't that God hates Abby, (laughs) it isn't that Abby's identity is an abomination to God. It's that, you know, we have really, really misunderstood the context, the history, the, uh, the translations. We have done a really, really poor job of understanding this topic in the church, um, in the Bible. And, um, you know, those of us who are face-to-face with it, like with our children or with a loved one who comes out, we we suddenly realize we have we have some uprooting to do of these old right. these old stereotypes and biases and just plain bad religious teachings. That's right. That takes time, you know. That's that's right. And you go into a little bit of that
0: in your book, just about you know the term homosexuality and when that even came into the Bible and. Emmy and I did a podcast going deep, deeper into those clobber verses. So, she's, um, and
1: she's brilliant about it. I, I love her. her I mean,
0: yeah. yeah, I had, she was a, a guest, gosh, I think it was almost exactly two years ago on this podcast for the first time. And so we did an episode going into that. So I encourage listeners to listen to that if they haven't, or you do go into it a little bit in your book, but there's lots of resources on that theology. Um, yeah. And it's so important as you're talking and just thinking about your book, even though it was a kind of a messy process and hard for you to go through all this, one, two of the things I would say that stuck out to me that you always did, you always loved your daughter and she knew it. Even Mm -hmm. when your faith was you were questioning, you always continued to tell her that you loved her and you refused to be one of the like, pray the gay away. Like you weren't doing that either. And I think that's really powerful in a message parents, caregivers need to hear because I mean, you and I both know that number of homeless youth it's a huge percentage i think like 70 i don't i'm not i don't know for sure um but it's a large majority are from the lgbtq community and religious
1: families religious lgbtq families right
0: and we how can you think that is what jesus wants or god wants for their children you can't and so that's what i want to go back to is this message of love and inclusion because jesus always made the table bigger and welcomed in those on the margins that were feeling excluded. And so I think that is what your story beautifully shows, that you always did that, even in your questioning and your doubt. Your daughter never doubted your love for
1: her. You know, I think I I went about this exploration of trying to understand how God saw my daughter as Mm -hmm. gay. And I think I went into the exploration fully expecting those two things to be in conflict, you know, God's acceptance and grace and, and Abby's sexuality. And in fact, it it wasn't that at all. I I found that those two things could both fit in my heart. And that's why I, I called the book making room is that there, there was room for the fullness of who Abby is along with room for the fullness of who God is. And that was the surprise to me is that, and as I I studied scripture and as I really looked at the full trajectory of what the Bible as a whole, you know, not just seven verses that mention homosexuality, but the hundreds, thousands of verses that talk about the actual trajectory of love from beginning to end. And I I really would encourage anyone who's a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend of someone who's struggling, you know, who's been who's come out and you're struggling with this, you know, just really do a deep dive into what the Old Testament really shows us of God's character in terms of being the pursuing lover, what the New Testament shows us of Jesus as being, as being the one who continually, as you said, made room at the table for the marginalized, for those who were shunned by the religious community. Um, Love is the message from beginning to end. Uh, Not judgment, not exclusion, but love. And I think we have very, very, very um, horribly missed that point with regard Mm -hmm. to the LGBTQ community in in our churches, in our homes, um, in our vision for the the future of what our world can look like. I mean, it it is um, Yeah. I mean, now I'm, I'm so I'm on the other side of it. And I, like you, I can't ever go back to understanding how I could not have seen or accepted that my daughter was every bit as worthy of receiving the fullness of God's grace, just as I am, just as you are.
0: I'm going to shift gears for just a second, because another part of your story that really spoke to me, and I know will a lot of people that are going through the faith unraveling or deconstruction is your community and loss of that. You say there's something about an, in your book, you said there's something about an unexpected life-changing event that brings into sharp focus who your quote circle of trust people are. And I think so many of us can relate to this because you got this information and your community is the conservative evangelical Christian women. And so, oh goodness, who, who are you going to go to? And unfortunately you didn't have them to go to and you had a lot of distancing and a lot of loss of friendships so when you talk about that because I know that you're going to speak to people that are going through that or feeling it I get messages about that a lot like how yeah. I how, what, what do I do with this
1: yeah I think it's, and a, it's so
0: hurtful too I want to sorry to interrupt you but that's part of it. it's so hurtful uh, it's when you're part going, of the grieving the, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
1: it's the grieving the loss it's um yeah Uh, that was a big part of it for both my husband and I is, is that we, where we once were welcomed with open arms and invited into these spaces to bring our gifts, you know, for me to bring my gifts of singing and speaking. And, you know, those doors closed. I was sometimes verbally, sometimes just by silence. I was uninvited from those spaces. Once it became clear publicly that I, I was accepting of my daughter and I wasn't saying I'm praying for her to change or, you know, or I'm those kinds of signals that we send. Um, I wasn't sending those. I was really, really being very honest about my process of coming to grips and coming to terms and to peace with who she is and what, what her life is. And, um, so, you know, I, I think when Abby first came out the first week, I, I called maybe two people. I, I called, my sister, my mom, and then my, my very best friend in the world. And beyond that teeny tiny circle the I didn't know who I could trust. I didn't know who else I could talk to because I, I knew that. And I began, as I even took baby steps toward trying to talk about it, um, that I would hit this impasse. I would hit a wall with people where they would say something like, Oh, you know, their face would look like this tragic, like I had just told them my child died or my child was in drug <laughs> rehab or something. Uh, and they would say, oh, I'll, I'll pray for her. I'll pray for your family. And I knew what they meant. Like I knew they meant I'll pray for her to change. And right. I didn't that's not what i was asking for I wanted i just wanted the community of, of like sharing and walking this road with me but in, instead what I continued to come up against was this well you can't accept that you can't accept her you can't right. you can't just condone what she's right. doing it's like I kept seeing like judgment at every every turn and it really did either judgment or like i said silence like no one mm-hmm. called no one came over no one could, came up to us after church and talked to us because they knew the Conversation which might lead, you know. And that was devastating. And at the same time, which I'm sure you've discovered, it was so eye opening because the people that did say, Hey, that did lean in and say, Tell me more became so precious <laughs> and became such a lifeline to us that we thought, Okay, well, then this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be a very few, but the few that are with us are for life mm-hmm. and they get it and they're mm-hmm. asking questions with us and they're not judging and they're saying, tell us more. We want to understand because someday it might be our kid coming out and uh, we want to hear how you're doing this and we're with you and we support you. So those people came out of the cl- you know walls or out of the closet, if you will. And then you very painfully grieve the silence and the loss of the other friendships, you know?
0: Yeah. And that part of your story spoke to me equally or more so. And I think, like I said, so many are in this phase of faith unraveling. And that is a part like I think you just unfortunately have to expect because so many people aren't where you're at. And it's so, so sad. And it's just reimagining the church because the church is supposed to be that place of love and acceptance and being there for you. And your story and so many others show that it's not. And we have so far to go. Cause you even say looking back now, I understand why I found the company of non-church friends so refreshingly honest and liberating. And like you said, I've experienced that. It's it's yeah. just like this judgment free zone and I think we have a lot to learn as Christians from that part of your story and so many of our stories
1: as well I think we're Um, so afraid I think Christians are so afraid of getting it wrong like I know that the people in my life who are afraid of this conversation and who got silent, it, they didn't do it out of cruelty to me. They did it out of fear of getting something wrong. And I feel like that is the big lie in all of this, that somehow Christians think we're supposed to get it right. like, And that we will die on that hill of like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to stand up for the truth. Well, I've been learning, you know, as I get older, that, that maybe it's, it's really about getting the love right. And maybe we have to sometimes get the theology wrong or trip, trip around the theology or wrestle with the theology part. But like, if we get the love, right, right, we're getting the big part, right. That's exactly right. And I think that's, that's what a lot of my friends were afraid of. They were afraid that if they walked with me, and supported me and had tolerance from where I was in my journey, that they were then somehow condoning a homosexual lifestyle of my daughter. And it's like, those two yeah. things are not...
0: yeah So much rooted in fear. In fear, I mean, so much of it is. So much of our own reactions as moms, so much of other people's, so much is rooted in fear. Now I'm going to read another paragraph to you because this is the, the one that I have a little hard time where I'm at with my walk of getting to, okay? We're talking okay. about the more conservative evangelicals that were not there for you. You say, I'm beginning to resign myself to the fact that some people won't ever make room at God's table for people like Abby. Even harder for me to accept is that I have to make room for them. Tempted as I am to write off my conservative evangelical friends, the truth is most of them are kind-hearted people who would never intentionally hurt anyone, even if their beliefs and practices inadvertently do just that. Allowing for differences on either side of the division between us, especially when they hit us close to home, when we have skin in the game is one of the hardest and greatest things loves asks of us. And I think, I, I believe those words. I do. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> I, with them. I do too. I, but <laughs> but that's just really hard. And yeah. I'm just, that's how I want to know how you got there because you know, your statement and that you said, you know, even though they're not hurting people, I feel like they are. They are. You know, like I feel like they are really harming an entire population of the LGBTQ community. And I know we're still asked to love, but I don't know. I don't know how to make room for them at the table right now, I guess is what I'm saying. So, speak into that a little bit, if you will.
1: Well, I think. I've heard it said that, you know, you have sort of your, your far, you know, your sort of extremes that are on the sort of on the um, fringes, you have your far right, your far left, you know, you have your Mm -hmm. progressives that are really pushing toward change. And then you have your, your conservatives that don't want change at all. Right. Mm -hmm. But that most people are in this gray middle, most people are in this middle. And I think probably you and I were in that middle We were, we were wrestling with some things, not wrestling with other things in our beliefs. And it wasn't like we sat there, you know, when we heard of someone coming out or when we talked, talked about this topic of, of gay people or whatever, we weren't wishing malice and harm on these people. We were simply falling back into a set of comfortable beliefs that we were too lazy or too whatever to question, and and I think right. that's the that's the problem is that unless we're forced to see beyond the label, yeah. we just slap a label on it and go, "I'm done. That's how, that answers it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're in, you belong in that other, or the them, and I'm in the us. I'm mm-hmm. in, you're out." I think that's where the great sort of problem lies. That it it is an intentional malice toward people, but it is a kind of spiritual laziness, and really even just a human lack of curiosity and compassion. And I think, you know, we've all learned this last summer with Black Lives Matter that we can no longer sit in this sort of privileged comfort zone of of like, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to deal with these labels because they don't affect me. We all have to deal with these this this labeling, this othering mm-hmm. that we've been mm-hmm. doing as a, as a society, whether it's by skin color, ethnicity, or sexuality, you know, I think, and this is what I've I've been learning and coming around to, and I'm telling you, it's not easy, and I and I don't I don't love the idea of having conversations with people who still think my daughter's going to hell, you know, mm-hmm. that's a hard hard conversation for me to have, and but if I make that person into the other into some kind of outsider who's not woke yet, who isn't, who's not enlightened yet, then I'm, I'm just doing the same thing I did from the other side of it, you know? And <laughs> that's the yes. no,
0: you're exactly right. I mean, that is the, I try to remind myself of that, but it is not gosh,
1: it's not easy. I think it's one of the hardest parts yeah. of all of this I think so too. I really do. And and listen, I'm not sitting here saying I, I get it right all the time. I mean, I there are times when I am so angry, and like on Facebook, or uh, you know, when I do venture to post something on Facebook, which I have because um, you know that's been part of my journey is like being public with these things and mm-hmm. saying them out loud and and inviting conversation and yeah. knowing that my Probably a, a biggest, at least maybe up until a couple of years ago, similar to yours, the biggest part of my following and my friends and my community were in this very conservative place. So when I speak about it publicly and get the comments back on Facebook, you know, of course the first thing I want to do is just hammer that person and you know rain down with all the all the indignation. But you know, it's I think part of our job as sort of bridge makers is to have to kind of go back and forth on that bridge mm-hmm. between the two sides and continue to remember where we were and, but also lead people across it.
0: Okay. You know? I needed, I, my heart needed that message. So thank you for that. <laughs> and that reminder. So shifting gears a little bit, you talk about, you know, kids don't come with a manual yeah. and we all wish that they did, right. and especially I mean, there's more books starting to, that are starting to be written. And Emmy and I did an episode on that, like raising children in an LGBTQ affirming friendly home. But you've had firsthand experience and you had to make up this manual as you went. So I just like to hear a few things of what if you were to write a manual, what would you tell other parents, caregivers, families raising children,
1: you know, that are from the LGBTQ community? What, what would you put in that manual? (laughs) So, I mean, I talk about in the book, how like I, (laughs) I was so not the hippie dippy liberal mom. Like I did not come (laughs) with that kind of sensibility to my personality. I still don't, you know, like, so when, when Abby came out, you know, I had an older son and, and we, you know, we had basic household rules like that, as teenagers, if your boyfriend comes over, I'm sorry. If your girlfriend comes over, um, this is what we would tell our son, you don't shut your door because we need to, we need to have eyes all the time on what you're doing behind the door, you know? So stuff like that. We, when my kids were growing up, they didn't have computers in their room until they, they hit their older years of high school. Of course, nowadays you've got the phones and the whole thing. I mean, you know, so there's a lot more, but it's, you know, these basic principles, stand true, whether your child is wherever they fall on the spectrum. It's like, we're still, we're still the guardians of their, of their growing up years and their formation. So we're, we're trying to put guardrails in and that's what I was trying to do. And so I kept having to come back because there were these weird things where like, Abby was a typical girl and she liked sleepovers. And then now she's, now she came out as gay. and, And I was like, well, what do I do about sleepovers? Do I just let a whole bunch of girls come and just mm-hmm. crash in her bedroom, all in their PJs and T-shirts and bras, and and like, yeah. wait a second. But what if somebody's attracted to somebody and somebody's doing something? And like, well, I had to just keep kind of applying these basic rules of like, what do I need to do? What guardrails do I need to put in place so that my child makes good decisions, makes good choices, grows up to be a responsible. Kind human being, and you know, it was really, really quite a uh, an eye opening experience as a parent because I realized it really isn't about gender; mm-hmm. it's just about who we are inside. It's about are we good people? Are we are we human beings that care about other human beings? And if I can teach my child that, does it really matter whether they're they love a girl or a boy? And so, a, a lot of my learning ground was just the normal teenage things that would come up, you know, prom. She went she, she went to prom and she invited a girl to prom. And we live in a pretty small town where I had sung in just about every church in town. People knew who I was. The local newspaper had done articles on the Christian singer who lived in town. And so I had a huge crisis when I learned that my daughter who, when she did come out, she came out with her wings spread. She was ready and she was ready to be loud and proud about it. And, yeah. and i most certainly was not ready for everybody to know our business. And so I had a lot of just sort of existential crises over like how much Abby was telling people about who she was. Mm -hmm. And, And so another kind of lesson in that was, hey, this is her story unfolding. And I don't always have control over that narrative. And that's true of whatever our kids are doing and whether they're whether they're gay or whether they're they're not gay. Our kids are growing into the human beings and the, the adults that they're becoming. And we can't always put like a lid on that or control that narrative. So I think that the, the basic principles of good parenting did me well throughout throughout mm-hmm. those years that Abby was at home with us and growing into the, the young woman that she was becoming. Um, and when it came time for things that were gender related, I just kept trying to go back to the basic principles the underlying principles that I cared about the most, you know?
0: I mean, you'd share how Abby told you like, mom, you're just going to have to trust me, which people could laugh and be like, well, yeah, of course. But I think that's part of it. And I think that trust comes when their children know they are loved and accepted by us and that the communication lines are open and it seems that you Huge. did a pretty good job of even having that open communication with Abby. Was that an instant thing or was that like something you also worked on?
1: Yeah. That's a lifetime. <laughs> that's a whole lifetime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Yes. And can, based on kids' personalities and all of that. Oh um, my gosh.
1: Yeah. yeah. So this was a kid who, you know, when she hopped in the car after school would tell me about her entire day before I even asked, how was your day? So she was a, a very verbal communicator from the, the get go and, those were the lines of communication between us. They were, they were always open. And even when things got hard and awkward and, you know, I mean, I remember having conversations with Abby about, and she's done so much to teach me about the LGBTQ community. I mean, it's been such a learning experience and i asked the dumbest questions about it because i'm so ignorant but mm-hmm. yeah you you lean back into those bonds that you create from young young age and it and i would say too but it's never too late to start trusting, and also be vulnerable with your kid. Say, listen, I'm asking because I don't get it. I'm not asking because I'm trying to judge you or your friends. I just, I want to understand more about your world. That's right. And as you're talking, I'm
0: thinking just my own experience with my oldest, he's almost 19, but You know raising her in the purity culture and just all all the damage Mm -hmm. that god has done and unraveling a lot of that and i have people reach out so well if not purity culture then what like do you just tell them to have sex with whoever like it's not one or extreme or another, but it no. does come back again to that communication and that yeah. vulnerability and trust and and not the shame or the you're in or out. Yes. So I see the topics just very much entwined with the sexuality yes. of how we're raising our daughters and sons. I just happen to have daughters, but sure. um, I, I just think it applies to that too, raising kids out of that purity culture. <sighs>
1: and it's so fear and shame-based. Um, I mean, don't you wish you could just go back and do those formative years all over. I would, I do. I do too. I mean,
0: thankfully though, mine are seven years apart. So I have the 19 year old and the 12 year old. So I'm nice. like, okay, I get a do a a over and it. somehow, yeah, somehow, despite all our mistakes, all my mistakes as a mom, yours, oh, these beautiful creatures that that's... God has made are just, they turn out oh, even so much better than we deserve. Better than you even <laughs> <laughs> hope they could. Oh, that's so yes. true. <laughs> so last question moms, dads, caregivers that are in your, sh- were, maybe can relate to your part of like, I don't get this and I, I don't know where my faith lies. Like, I think this is a sin and they're also dealing with like, my child has come out to me and there were, where you were 10 years ago. What, what just bit of advice do you have to start with? I mean, I know, first of all, read your book is one, yeah, but yeah. just in general, just to like speak to those people's, those caregivers, parents' hearts.
1: Yeah. You know, I I would say that don't be afraid to lean into the God that you find in Mm -hmm. scripture and know that, that God can handle all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your fears, um, lean hard into, into prayer and into, into the, into God's word. I mean, that even sounds counterintuitive because in those words, you sometimes find really scary things that make you afraid for your child or for your loved one. But if you, if you dig deeper, you find so much more that absolutely confirms just how beloved you are and your child or your loved one is. Um, So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, seek out teachers and mentors I did on the internet, you know, uh, find people who who are a little ahead of you on this path, um, and learn from them. Whether it's reading Emmy Kegler's book, or whether it's reading my book, or whether it's reading, you know, I have some resources that I mentioned in the book and that I can I can mention to um, to you as well. You know, there's a book called Unclobber by Colby Martin, and it's one of the best, most easy to understand in plain English takes you through the Bible verses right. one by one and, and really spells it out and gets you to this place of like, ah, okay. So I don't have to throw the entire Bible right. out. I can just read it with much more clarity now. And then I would say also, don't be afraid of, let, of putting love before the theology. The yeah. theology will take time. Don't rush it. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers right now. But know that Jesus, Paul, both said that that the greatest of this, all of this, is love. That love right. is is all the commandments summed up. Jesus said can be found in, in two: love your neighbor, love God, and love your neighbor. And so, if you get the love part right, if you love your child, if you love your grandchild, your loved one, um, know that the theology will will follow that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Stacey, thank you so much. I mean, my goodness, this has just been balm for my soul. And I know for our listeners as well. So tell us where people can find you connect with you. And we'll put all of this
1: in the show notes as well. But just if you want to let folks know. Absolutely, uh, I'm easy to find because it's just my name. It's stacyfrennis is my website, okay. um, and then at stacyfrennis is how you can find me on all the socials on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can also find my my music and my books on Amazon and iTunes and Spotify. So okay,
0: yeah. and again, your your new book is called Love Makes Room and Other Things I Learned When My Daughter Came Out and. I really encourage folks to just get the book read it soak it in and make room make room for love and your story just so beautifully illustrates that stacy thank you thank you so much